Welcome to Reading the Room, a literary podcast featuring author interviews and discussions with bookish content creators. I am your host, Jalen, and today I am so excited to be joined by Billy Ray Belcourt, author of the debut novel, A Minor Chorus. Billy Ray Belcourt is a writer from the Driftpile Cree Nation, and he is an assistant professor in the School of Creative Writing at the University of British Columbia, and the author of three books of poetry and nonfiction. I read this book in December of 2022, and it very easily made my top five of the year, a book that I think is so genius in its telling and its form, and I implore you all to read it. I was very intimidated, as I am in every interview, but this one in particular, to ask him to come on the podcast and to try to unpack this novel because I think it is so utterly tapped into what I'm thinking about right now in terms of fiction and the possibilities of novels as a form. I really loved our conversation and think you all will enjoy it as well. In case you're unfamiliar with the novel, it follows a queer indigenous doctoral student in northern Alberta as he steps away from his dissertation to write a novel. I think Billy Ray and his brilliance in this discussion will make you want to pick it up instantly. If you're a fan of reading The Room and want to support the podcast, with a donation, I would greatly appreciate it. I have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash reading the room. It's also linked below in the episode notes where you can make a three or five dollar donation. It really means the world to me if you choose to support in that way or even just listening or leaving a five-star review. Those are all ways to support the podcast. Thank you all for listening and let's get into the interview. <laughs> Billy Ray, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I have many questions for you. I adore this book. Um, I've been talking about it with so many friends and it's a book that I haven't stopped thinking about. And I was admittedly, I just said this before we started recording, but very nervous to try to tackle this book because there's, it's doing so much that I'm, I've been obsessed with over the last like two years of my reading journey. And I'm excited for this. So I wanted to start and just say, I read Bed Learners Leading the Atocha Station last year. And mm -hmm. that book is very much thinking about the possibility of having a profound experience of art. And when I reviewed this initially, I said, this is like the closest I've come to finding that. <laughs> so I just wanted to start there, ask you about what it means for you to write this novel and it being out in the world. Like, how do you feel since its publication? Thank you. That's very flattering. <laughs> I, I have read that novel as well. And that you know, introductory scene is one that I, you know, still think about. But this novel I wrote out of a kind of frustration with the form of the novel. For some reason, in 2018, I became like fixated on writing a novel. Perhaps a lot of writers have this moment where suddenly the novel seems like this you know, inviting capacious form that you can sort of pour all of your sometimes conflicting or contradictory sensibilities into. But whenever I tried to write a novel, I, I sort of failed. The, I petered out at some point. And then it occurred to me that my inability to write a novel was itself something I could write a novel about. And of course, that's not a new approach <laughs> there's a whole sort of like sub genre of, of that kind of novel but i realized that you know the distance i felt between my life and the novel had to do with my queerness and my indigeneity that because the novel is a western import and because it has at its core and individualizing principle, I was always gonna be at a remove from that history. And so I thought, well, what if, what if, you know, what if that sense of being removed from a literary history were the subject of the novel? Yeah, I mean, I wanted to ask you about this idea in this book of it being a very 
on the one hand, an individualistic account of you trying to think through what it means to write this novel and that being laid out on the page. But it's also very much a novel attempting to record something about the collective, I guess. And this is something I've been thinking a lot about recently is novels of the individual or the self versus the collective. And I wanted to ask you about how you came to the interview aspect of this book as contrasted with the more direct account of the narrators thinking about his thoughts and the, them being the novel itself. Mm -hmm. As a poet, I think I had an instinctive aversion to plot and I didn't read this book until after I wrote my novel, but uh, Red Pill by Hari Kundru. And the narrator in that novel says something to the effect of plot is an arbitrary way that we organize the randomness of life. And I suppose I was interested in, in not organizing the randomness of life and letting that, you know, be a natural facet of the, of my novel. And I was, of course, inspired by both consciously and unconsciously by Rachel Cusk's Outline Trilogy. Her conceit in, in those sets of books being, you know, what if the narrator was sort of behind a kind of surface? And so I thought, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to disappear the narrator because he's as much a part of the you know, the chorus of the novel as, as the other characters. But I needed a way for him to be able to philosophize <laughs> without it seeming like I was just like kind of trying to squish another kind of modality of speech into the novel. And the interview format, the, the sort of the form of the interview uh, allows the protagonist to, to, to bring in theory and, and to to meld what's happening in the conversation with his interiority. And I'm curious to know too, like in terms of your own reading, um, is this something that you tend to to search for in books that you read? Like, are you also, do you try to avoid books with plot or do they not um, invigorate you as much as books that are more maybe rooted in theory? It's hard to say. My reading habits are pretty like idiosyncratic and, and unknowable sometimes, but plot isn't usually what immediately draws me into a novel usually uh, a sense of a specific kind of atmosphere feeling or a, a sort of vibrancy of language those are usually the two things that i feel compelled by yeah and i mean one thing too in this book that's really commendable and that i really enjoyed and i want to ask you i guess about the craft of it is that this book is asking huge questions about theory and about history. But the way that you write is at once so gorgeous and challenging in a good way, but it's also very accessible, if that makes sense. And I'm wondering how you go about the crafting of your sentences and your approach to these big ideas in, very, in a small form, such as this novel. Totally. There was one round of editing where I set myself the task of trying to do exactly that, which was to ensure that the sentences weren't overly difficult or overly abstract. The poet part of me and the, the sort of scholar part of me are, um, are constantly in, in conflict. <laughs> and especially when I was writing this novel. And I, I tried to find a space of synthesis where those two modalities could be harmonious rather than you know, disharmonious. I think, you know, thinking back when I sort of flipped to the novel, there are some sentences where I was like, okay, I probably could have uh, lightened this a little, or I probably could have 
you know, broke this down <laughs> into two different sentences. But, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm so interested in the, the capacity of a single sentence to do all the things that we expect um, to happen over the course of, of a whole novel. So how can a single sentence generate its own atmosphere, its own mood? How can it, um, you know, subvert expectation? How can it ask things of the reader rather than simply be something that is ingested or, or absorbed? Yeah, I love hearing that too, because I, I remember this one passage, I think it's in the novel, um, and we talk about how like queerness lends itself to overwriting, which I thought was really funny, um, and an yeah. interesting point to think about. <laughs> I think something that's really interesting about this novel is how it's so rooted in history and writing a present sort of mode while all, like, always incorporating history in your writing and thinking mm -hmm. and towards the future, and also this idea of transcendence and corporeality with all of this in terms of the eye of the narrator of the novel being the sort of container for all of these kind of conflicting ideas. And so I'm wondering how you think about transcendence in light of history and what your work is doing on that front. I think that writing is one of the few times where I feel that I can fully inhabit my body. And I think my protagonist of the novel says something to that effect too. And the question is, why is that the case? There's something, you know, there's something about writing that transports us out of our immediate moment because the immediate moment is so fraught with you know so much historical resonance and any individual indigenous life is so fraught with historical resonance that in order to write about it one has to go into th that history and i suppose i wanted to do something like what you know the 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 theorist idea hartman does in her body of work which is attend to the more ghostly remnants of history in the present, rather than do a sort of more conventional scholarly analysis of, of the past. And I think in the novel, the, the space of, for example, the space of the abandoned residential school represents that ghostly presence, that history's ghostly presence. And the protagonist, Across, you know, throughout the novel is constantly trying to figure out what aspects of the past constrain us and what aspects of the future allow us to exceed those constraints. And I suppose I'm always trying to write toward, you know, the, the future that enables us to exceed those constraints. And I suppose we could call that something like transcendence. I think you said this in an interview. I think you said something about how a novel sort of forms as a stage for conversations that we're unable to have and um, as tied to the narrator's inability to interview or have a conversation with his mother. And I have another podcast coming up with the writer Catherine Lacey and I was watching an interview of hers and she was talking about how the novel as a form, or I guess more specifically narrative in itself, is a really good tool to think through certain philosophical ideas, how it's easier to follow a narrative than it is to grapple directly with a philosophical thought. And I wondered if that rang true to you in terms of your compulsion to write a novel and seeking narrative, what that means for you as well. I suppose as a, a university student, as an undergrad, I was more interested in reading philosophical accounts than I was re in reading you know, fiction or, or, or other kinds of narratives. Because that intimate or embodied aspect 
was something that I felt like I could conjure myself. Like I didn't need the text to do that for me. But then later, as I started writing and publishing, I realized that not everyone <laughs> does that or wants to do that to sort of uh create this other kind of space of the text that the text doesn't do for you. Um, it's interesting because so many novelists will say that the novel can't really account for the political and that sort of they stand in opposition uh, because novels aren't about imparting any kind of lessons about how to live, but rather sort of rep represent the, the nuance of, of living. But I think that, you know, all, all, all life, you know, is political and, and to believe that there's some way of writing out of that is itself a kind of political gesture with, with certain consequences. For me, it seemed normal that a novel would be both philosophical and political. I guess while we're on the topic of philosophy, this is a question I've been dying to ask you about is just a general moment to talk about Sheila Hetty and motherhood um, as motherhood is a central topic and part of this book. This idea of motherhood as mutual flourishing as presented in this book and then also just, I don't know, I guess your connection with Sheila Hetty's, Hetty's writing because I love her so much um, and I see a lot of parallels in your eyes' writing. So I'd just love to hear you talk about her. Yeah, Sheila Hetty was one of those writers that sort of opened up the, the form of the novel for me. There's a point when I felt that I was simply like solely a poet that I I felt generally disinterested in the novel, <laughs> I, um, which is silly, but you know that's why I felt at one point. And yeah, and then her work sort of uh, opened up another way of thinking about the novel for me. I wrote a bit about motherhood in my memoir, you know, Sheila Hetty's book, Motherhood, in my memoir, because I had a conversation with a poet at a residency, and that the topic of that, you know, th that book came up, and he said something to the effect of, uh, you know, that there's so much more interesting things to write about than motherhood and why you know why should he spend 300 you know plus pages thinking about it and of course that's the whole point <laughs> of, of Hetty's book <laughs> is the 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 way that there's this kind of taken for grantedness more truthful accounts of motherhood and at a point while I was working on this novel it occurred to me that one of its central topics was motherhood whether the character of Mary, who's, you know, trying to mother her, her grandson in, in the face of police brutality, or uh, the mother, of uh, the protagonist mother, who are you know, incapable of having a conversation about the past, or as a protagonist sort of realizes toward the end of the book, we can think of mothering as a political activity and something that's available to all of us. And that order, in order to, you know, build the world that we want, you know, mothering has to figure into that political vision. Now, the novel is a form as a social act. And I, I read this book called Seduced by Story um, by Peter Brooks, and he considers how novels serve as these sort of connections to certain perhaps expected readers through devices such as language and character. And I want to hear you talk about that idea of novels being a social act and the necessary connection that a novel has with a reader and what that means for you as a writer. Well, firstly, I'll say that I wanted to write a novel that felt like it was a collective undertaking. So even though I didn't, I didn't actually interview people for this novel, I wanted to generate the sense of collectivity, you know, by the end of the book, that should make it clear that literary 
literary possibility is something that is socially determined, which I think can get lost when we think of the novel again as a kind of bourgeois individualizing uh, technology. And secondly, I think that there's a way that indigenous writing and indigenous art more broadly are always already positioned as social and communal. I think that that brings with the pros and cons. But one of the advantages of that is that, you know, our work is understood to have some kind of force in the world. And I, I give this craft talk sometimes about political literature, where I say something to the effect of, you know, as artists, we have to be brave enough to believe that our, our work can do something in the world. And I think that that's what, you know, my novel aspires toward. It's really about, you know, amongst many things, prison abolition and you know, the end of the carceral state. Those are two things that are, you know, that common knowledge, that com common craft knowledge, which suggests that it would be incredibly difficult to, to write a novel about those things. <laughs> Um, or to, to suggest that a novel can even, you know, begin to insist on something like prison abolition. But because I come from this other history, this other sort of literary history, which, again, sort of uh, brings into, into um, focus the social capacity of literature, it didn't seem impossible to me. Yeah, that brings me to something else near the end of the book in terms of this, this theme of prison abolition. And there's this idea that you present that I... That was so fascinating, and it's going to be hard for me to try to summarize it here, but I have a quote. Um, it's about the narrow framing of novels and novelists serving as a sort of security guard um, presented near the end. And the quote says, novels frame human existence and sensation so narrowly that a character can appear to be trapped in a structure without agency. This wasn't analogous to prison by any means, but in my mind, it seemed to underscore the way normal people, writers that is, play the part of a security guard or correctional officer under the auspices of literature. And this idea of like novels as prisons that sort of replicate each other in in their form, which I thought was a really interesting mm -hmm. idea. Um, could you just touch on that passage and what you were doing there? Mm -hmm. So again, I'm someone who's interested in in structure, both social structure and and novelistic structure. I think there's more space. <laughs> there's a lot of space right now uh, uh, to sort of problematize like replicability of the novel. And uh, you know, people like you know Rachel Kasking and Kanasgard and 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 others sort of do this very publicly. In my case, I was thinking about the status of marginalized characters in the contemporary novel. It's wild <laughs> how often I'm reading a novel and there's some sudden allusion to indigenous life or some kind of, uh, you know, metaphorical, you know, anchor is, is thrown at, you know, Indigenous people, uh, or, you know, overturned into metaphors. And, you know, that, of course, you know, you know, stuns me out of the reading experience. But it made me realize, too, that, you know, so often Indigenous life is evoked in in literature you know by non-indigenous people in a way that feels of course superficial but you know perhaps more importantly um a kind of puppeteering 
and of course the thing about puppeteering is that uh, the puppet doesn't have agency and so i was trying to draw some kind of conclusion about my own reading experience uh with that passage but also again i'm interested in the way and the, the, the protagonist goes on to say something to the effect of you know you know, you know conventional discourse dictates that you know a prison is, is something specific and isolated and often you know on the outskirts of a city or in a rural area somewhere outside the purview of social life but really all the tactics that you know all the tactics and technologies and logics that make up a prison are you know present everywhere else of course they're present in the novel it's so interesting to think about you know these these ideas as sort of foundational aspects of this novel and, I, and i'm wondering i guess i have a two-part question here one part is i guess in terms of your own craft of this novel and understanding when you've landed on the correct i guess synthesis or metaphor um for what you're trying to explain like when do you know that your idea has been like finalized in this form i'll just start there like how do you know when you've got it yeah <laughs> i sometimes don't i sometimes don't know i remember uh sending the first draft of this novel to my agent and in in the email i was like is this even a novel like <laughs> i don't actually know what it's amounted to uh you know because there are these very essayistic portions and you know it's mostly conversations between characters you know it's and it's really about prison abolition and you know uh, it, 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 all this feels sort of contradictory and then she wrote back to be like yeah this is absolutely a novel and you know one of the, the, the very generative things about the novel is that it's so it's so capacious and it can accommodate so much while still feeling like you know what, like you're experiencing something novelistic but it's really through the act of you know writing and rewriting and editing that I glean, you know, any kind of clarity about what I'm doing, or if you know something isn't quite working, that's where I that's where I figure it out. And of course, the help of my editors too, who um, you know, thankfully, read with a lot of uh, rigor, with an eye for drawing out, the, you know, the work in its fullness. In taking those sort of, I guess, words of of wisdom or edits from from outside forces, I mean, how does that impact your writing in your own process? Like, does it ever feel hard to take or are you usually kind of open to those ideas? I gen yeah, I'm generally very open to those ideas because especially with this novel, I was, and as you've already indicated, it's, it's ambitious despite its, you know, brevity. And so I felt like I needed my editors to help, help me sort of manage that ambition. I think you know there's there's times where I know something I've written won't need much editing. It's just sort of just a, a, a sort of a wave of clarity hits you when you realize that you alone sort of figured it out. But yeah, more often than not, I do I do need my editors, and I work with two right now, one in the U.S. and one in Canada, and we work um, simultaneously. Yeah, and then it becomes a larger conversation about impact and interpretation and you know clarifying purpose and whatnot i'm curious to know in terms of you writing this novel and then also being a poet how you think about poetry versus novel writing versus um essay writing i mean i guess they can all have their own sort of capacious aspects to them and i'm wondering if you feel i guess specifically about poetry if it is similarly capacious in that regard or do you find it more limiting for any reason 
because there's some more formal constraints that I think poetry might have, I guess, but so do novels. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out the yeah. distinction in my mind between those forms. And if you yeah. have something smart to say about that. <laughs> mm. I think what comes to mind is that poetry, when I write poetry, the emotional intensity feels most foregrounded in that I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to communicate an emotional experience in an incredibly compressed space. And with poems, I usually think in images. And when I work on fiction, I'm thinking in sentences and detail. In my memoir, I, I tried to build it sentence by sentence, and I wanted every sentence to be really molded and, and sculpted. And, you know, that proved to be a difficult <laughs> undertaking. And with the novel, I thought, you know, I have to, I have to relinquish some of that preciousness and I have to allow myself to write sentences that simply convey information. They don't have to be, they don't have to have any kind of flourish. And that's when I was able to think about the total effect of, you know, a bunch of pages of text rather than just the individual effect of a single sentence. So I guess tied to that question too, I mean, how you feel about being a novelist as a vocation or a writer as a vocation in light of, you know, also having a scholarly background and teaching and how all of those sort of forces play on your understanding of what writing means for you now, mm -hmm. especially after post-publication. Yeah, I think of myself as, I suppose, a writer. And if I were to privilege one of the modes over the others, I would probably say I'm a poet uh, first and then, you know, a prose writer second. I think I lead, I lead the kind of life that lends itself to writing. I think like a lot of other writers, I'm, my, my inner life <laughs> is vibrant, <laughs> to put it in a more positive light. And I do spend a lot of time by myself. That lends, it, you know, that lends itself to imagining that any kind of writing requires. And in my teaching, I try to bring in my own you know, writerly concerns into the classroom and you know, think through them with students. But, but really, I think, see my job as a teacher as being an invitation to students, you know, emerging writers usually, to think not just about the technical aspects of writing, but, but the social and political ones too. Like in my poetry class, I always say, we're not just, in, we're not just going to write poems, which of course we will, but we're also going to think about what it means to live a poetic life, which is to say that we're going to think about what it means to, to be free or to want to be free. And so that means that I have to also think about how I, in my own life, can insist on freedom and, and can, you know, work toward decolonization and dispersing that feeling of a desire for another world. It speaks to me a lot too, because this is a different, I guess, issue. And I'm kind of just inputting my own thing here. But I mean, in terms of even this podcast, I've been thinking about the questions I'm asking. And I mean, in this, in this case, I mean, I, what I love so much about this book is that it's questioning itself constantly. I tend to ask a lot of form questions. Maybe a question for you is in terms of doing press for this book, is there anything that you wish had been asked of you or something that you wish you could talk about in relation to this novel that might not have come up yet? I think one thing is that I think of the book as a kind of postmodern experiment and no one has you know zeroed in on that yet. I mean there's the obvious way sort of it's meta it's sort of metafictional current where it's, as you say it's sort of questioning questioning itself as it unfolds but 
there's a way that indigenous literature doesn't get taken up as doing something that um, is a part of other literary traditions. So we don't really ever hear of indigenous literature talked about as you know modernist or postmodernist or what have you. And so I wanted to, in my humble way, you know, um, locate myself in that tradition where I'm interested in you know ideas and literary history and form, and those things are inseparable from the content. And that reminds me of another passage too that I really enjoyed is when you you think about narrative and writing as a, a sort of privilege in the sense of you question what would happen if everyone you know had had the tools to be able to tell their stories and how the interview style of you, of the narrator being a passive teller of those stories what that kind of opens up in the novel as a form too was really interesting in thinking about who gets to tell those stories i don't know if you have anything to say about that as well i, I love that section though in the one chapter uh towards the end about the trip back to this to Edmonton to the city where the protagonist reflects that you know we're all in our own ways trying to you know as humans as people trying to figure out how to you know break from this the inherited scripts uh, about who we are or who who we could be and I suppose again that's sort of me you know theorizing about the work <laughs> um as as it's being written like the, in the, the work theorizes about itself because you know what I was I was trying to do exactly that figure out how to you know how do people uh, think about their lives in ways that reproduce these scripts or allow them to momentarily or finally break free from them in terms of the more the moments rooted in reality in terms of the sex writing in this book um mm -hmm. I I talked to Maggie Milner yesterday which has a lot of sex writing in it. And I pulled this quote from Alyssa Fibos in her book called Body Work and how to very quickly summarize what she says is that sex writing is not necessarily any different from other forms of writing. It's just the way that we sort of view sex as something else or the way that our understanding of sex. And I'm wondering how you think about writing about those experiences in your work. It's always funny to me when I see people talk about my work and then have to put this disclaimer, which is that, you know, there's graphic depictions of sex. Um, which I understand that some people don't want to read about that, but in my opinion, yeah, so much of the the truth of of life can be made clearer when I write about sex and desire and intimacy. And I wanted to. There's uh, one of the sex scenes in the novel is told in like poetic verse, and I wanted to do that because I I wanted to break the pattern of the novel briefly. And also I wanted to put into practice my suspicion that, you know, hookups and, and, and sex lend themselves to poetry more than they do to the novel. <laughs> and also because I think some, you know, hookups and some, you know, uh, uh, intimate acts feel more like sharp images and fleeting feelings rather than anything concrete or any kind of specific information. But it never occurred to me not to write about sex in in descriptive detail. Like, I don't I don't think that somehow makes a work less literary. And it's so weird to me sometimes when I'm reading a novel and they're like, um, then they went, you know, something like, but you know, they went to the bedroom and that's the end of the sentence and then it picks up the next day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I feel like there's so much to be mined within those experiences. I mean, even aside from sex too, this book, one line that I loved was, uh, the narrator says, I've made all this racket about ideas and literature and art, but really what I've wanted most was to be loved. It's such an emotional, you know, sentiment that's carried in this book. And something I think a lot about too is, and just like in my own life, it seems like a hard topic to sort of 
tackle as it's so kind of amorphous. Do you mind talking about love and intimacy as explored in this book and in any of your mm -hmm. writing? So really the, the, the protagonist of the novel is, is depressed, probably because, you know, there's this, this chronic sense that he's living a, a, a kind of impoverished life that he doesn't have, you know, he doesn't have a lover. He doesn't, you know, um, have that robust of a sense of community. He's alienated in, you know, academia. He's alienated society at large because of racism and colonialism and homophobia. And his response to this sense of alienation is uh, to turn to the novel. And, you know, which might seem ironic or contradictory given, again, the history of the novel <laughs> and its, you know, status as, as this, uh, uh, you know, very you know, specific technology of experience. But that revelation at the end of the book where he's, you know, that you just quoted that, you know, really, you know, I think would prefer, he would prefer to be loved than to actually to, to write a novel. <laughs> I think uh, that was a revelation that I had myself. Um, and that sometimes writing feels like you're sort of just, you know, waiting for something else to happen that, you know, keeps you busy <laughs> rather than writing. I think what the narrator comes to realize by the end of the book is that love means something more than it's, you know, biological and physical manifestations that, you know, we can, we can be in love with the future or with another world and that can sustain us, you know, and that could keep us attached to the present. And that we have to, we have to like fight for that, you know, because there's so much in the world that will get in the way of our love for another kind of way of being in the world. It ties perfectly to the last question I have here about just the final sentence in which thinking about all these things, the narrator asks, was I happy? Then he says that evening I sat down at my desk to finally begin writing the novel. I hoped to answer the question. And I was trying to think of what question I wanted to ask you about this. Um, I guess I just want to ask you about how you're feeling about novel writing right now. Um, if you want to share anything about your experiences since writing this book and how this has maybe shifted your understanding of novel writing or just how you're doing now, I guess, <laughs> with all of that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I often I've I've gotten a question a couple of times that is uh, now that you've written this more experimental novel, are you going to write a more conventional novel now? And I yeah, I don't I don't know if it'll be that uh, you know easy or, or seamless the transition from the experimental to the more conventional. I don't I don't actually desire that, but I think that I had to write this kind of novel in order to work my way into. The, the sort of rhythm of novel writing. I imagine that one day I will write a novel that, or is like less uncategorizable, but I, you know, I, I, I did write some short stories and, and those will be published um, next year. And I, I tried to be more amenable <laughs> to the genre this time. And uh, cause I was interested in, you know, just as a writer, just my interest in, you know, what different modes make possible for me. But I'm also working on poetry. I thought I was done writing about like my childhood, <laughs> but it turns out I'm not. And some of these poems are, that I'm working on now are like the most personal, most most uh, truthful poems I've written. And, and so I do feel excited about that. I cannot wait to read all of that. But um, I saw the announcement about your short stories and I love short stories as a form. And I'm very curious to see your writing in that in that form. I'm I love to see whatever you write, but like 
since I know how concerned you are with the not, with different forms and writing, it's going to be cool to see, I think. So to ask you before you go, just for some book recommendations, I always ask every writer, anything that you're reading now that you're enjoying or books you're looking forward to coming out soon, kind of open-ended there. Yeah, let me just grab my little book. I write down the books I've read in. Okay, well, I'll start with a book I haven't read yet, but that I'm excited to read. It's by one of my friends, uh, Jessica Johns. It's called Bad Cree. It's one of the few books also set in Northern Alberta. It sort of has a magical realist quality to it. It's out in the U.S. as well. I also read this really wonderful poetry collection that I think is coming out in the U.S. recent soon. It's called Quiet by Victoria Aduque. Uh, Bully, I might be mispronouncing that, but you know, you know, incredibly moving and interesting poems. I juried a prize here in Canada for emerging LGBTQ writers. And one of the books we shortlisted was a book called White Mud Walking by Matthew James Weagle, also set in Alberta, but it's about he's an indigenous poet figuring out how to work in colonial archives in order to tell this the story of his ancestors um, and that becomes the subject of the book you know working in colonial archives and sort of retaining one's humanity thank you so much for you know taking the time today and talking to me about this book I, i've been recommending this so much lately that i'm gonna keep doing it but if you haven't if anyone watching this hasn't hasn't picked it up yet on my recommendation please do it's incredible i love it so much and you're a writer that I'm so excited to keep following. And so thank you. Yeah, thanks so much. It really means a lot to me. And uh, I'm glad that you've been <laughs> uh, pushing the book into people's hands and becoming a part of the sort of like shadow marketing <laughs> team that, that, that readers become. Thank you. And everyone, thank you for watching. And I'll, I'll sign off here. Thanks.